Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Everyone can hear me. Man, that guy can sing. You, you've got something going. I, I was really, thank you. I was very blessed. The presence of God, amen, is there. Hallelujah. I tell you, God is so good. I love this place. There's such an anointing in this house. Uh, such a blessing to be here. If there's any way to be in South Africa, it's definitely in this place. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, I need this prophet guy to hold this for me. I don't need this. It's bothering my pocket. Hallelujah. I'm getting lighter. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. We have a tremendous blessing happening. Uh, this week, we ministered almost every day, almost twice a day since last Sunday, actually several meetings last Sunday, and we ministered this morning and this afternoon. We had about 70 pastors, I think there's more than that, gather at 2 o'clock this afternoon from about 3 to 5 in Kailichi, and am I saying it right? Kailicha? Help me, Jesus. But what touched me the most is this whole week is the prophetic confirmation. And um, when we got and met with pastors last Sunday, uh, one of the pastors said, this is prophetic. We were talking about, he was, felt like it was prophetic fulfillment. And this afternoon, every pastor said, we're in, we're in, we're going to do the crusade. Originally, we've been working with these pastors for a couple of months from a distance, to do it at the end of October, we're going to move it to February. And uh, Pastor Alan Baggs had several of his students, a lot of Bible school students came this week to help me in meetings. It was such a blessing to have them. And I can see something bigger going on. God has opened up doors for us in a big way. I've been to Nigeria 58 times, and uh, I preached many years ago in 2000 for a man called Dr. Paul Anichi and David Ibiomi and... Uh, it's probably the key biggest pastors in the country. I've been with Pastor Eno Kataboya, many key pastors. And um, uh, Pastor David Obiemi is building a 150,000-seater church, and they want me to, actually, they want me to be with him in October, and they want me to preach in the church when it opens. And um, we have great favor in Nigeria. We had a crusade in Port Harcourt about two years ago. We had over 270,000 people in Port Harcourt. And we just got... My wife said today, uh, the governor sent, uh, the governor of Uyo, or one of the states in Nigeria, he just sent yesterday over $9,000 to pay for a first-class ticket for me to go all the way to do a crusade November the 2nd through the 5th. And they estimate we might have a million people, and it's going to cost me nothing. The government is paying for it. Can you believe it? The Nigerian government... The Nigerian government is paying for me to do a crusade. Now, you know, it might not be a miracle for you, but trust me, when you've been there 58 times, it's a miracle. So they gave me an award last year in Nigeria. Um, they had thousands of leaders gathered together. 
I did not know they would give me this award. Even they gave me an award, they called me the Evangelist of the Year Award. I thought, can you believe it? A white South African who, half South African, half American, who knows what I am, hallelujah. <laughs> God an award, hallelujah. But you know, God, it's all about God. It's all about loving Jesus. Let me take on a journey tonight. There's a lot of things I want to minister. But I have a feeling, you know, we can do just shallow messages. But sometimes I think we need to take people and shift the consciousness. And really go deep. Um, there's different ways of uh, stepping into certain things. You know, the Bible gives us a verse, and I think there's something very powerful about when we talk about words, but let me, I'll tell you what, let's start of year, and that is, let's go, go with me, and I just want to start of year, I don't know, we'll go with the Holy Ghost wherever he wants to go, amen? Sometimes you just start somewhere, hallelujah. <laughs> Acts chapter 2 and verse 28, Acts 2 and verse 28. Let me start here. You have made known the ways of life. Okay, wait, let me get this. Sorry, Acts 2, 26. Uh, shadow cast me there. <laughs> Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. My heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Now I want you to give me Psalm 16, verse 9. There's only one word changed here because Acts 2.26 is quoting Psalms, chapter 16, verse 9. My heart was glad and my, and my glory rejoices. Go back with me to Acts 2.26. Amen. Therefore, look at this, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Only one word is switched, tongue and glory. So we know how powerful the tongue is. Words are powerful. You don't have to go very far when you're dealing with Genesis 1-1 where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if I had to stop and pause and say, Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God, dear children. Boy, I'd have to do a Genesis 1.1. Because if I'm in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created, I'm Ephesians 5.1, I've got to be something called an imitator of God. And so, in essence, I'm created, say after me, say, I am created by the Creator. To create. I am created by the creator to create. Oh, words are powerful. Words are powerful. So we're talking about you stepping into this place where, talk about trusting the Holy Spirit. Talk about not leaning on your own understanding. Talking about believing God to speak. God's language is powerful. It's incredible. 
You know, the Bible says in John 8, verse 47, it says, those who are of the truth hear God's voice. So we know in John 8, 47, that truth has ears. Come on. Those who are of God hear God's voice. <laughs> Those who are of God hear God's voice. Some of you say, what are you talking about? This, no. You could take this to 1837, John 1837. And remember Pontius Pilate, they asked him, what is truth? And Jesus said, well, those who are of the truth. I believe it's John 1837. Yeah, everyone is of the truth. So truth has ears. And we know that God only hears himself. He doesn't hear grumbling, complaining, whining, none of that stuff. He didn't. he didn't say, bring me in remembrance of you, as good as you think you are. He said, bring me in remembrance of my word. So you learn very fast that nothing impresses God like himself. But there's a synergy of what I want to go into. And that is this powerful connection with the fact that God wants to walk with God, he wants to talk with God, he wants to hear God, he wants to bear witness with God, he wants to, you know, when I have my children, sometimes when you got, we got six kids and three grandkids, I, it, it's crazy, me and my wife, by the time we got to the third or fourth kid, it's like a competition, you know, mom's going to the kid, mom, 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 and I'm going to the kid, no, Eh, dad, 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 who's with me? Finally, come on, one of the kids is going to respond. And I remember one of my kids went out, I was going, dad, and he went, dad. Oh, my God. I went, hey, did you hear that? Say it again, dad. Oh, he just said my name. Come on. Now imagine how God feels when he hears his language. Dad. Everything my daddy has is mine. Yeah. You know, children believe money grow on trees, but grandkids, I think they believe diamonds grow on trees or something. You get the grandkid and my wife's like, hey, I thought, you know, what's this? 10 outfits here, 10 of the shopping like up a yin-yang. I'm like, what? I said, you know you just bought 10 times more clothes for this grandkid than you ever did for our own kids. I don't know what the thing is about grandkids. They got some kind of power. Hallelujah. But you see, everything about God is relationship. Everything about God is a response. Now, let me take you. One time when I was here, I did this. But let's just take this a little further. Amen. And let's go into a realm. Hallelujah. Sometimes I think certain things explain it better than anything else. Hallelujah. And uh, so we'll make that for you since we'll go from, we'll make this the beginning of time. And this is the end of time. Who's with me? 
God is Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. I love God. He's timeless, eternal. But this is a time realm. God made an evening and a morning, evening and morning, six days, an evening and a morning. But when it came to the seventh day, there was no evening, no morning. God never intended for there to be another day. But once man sinned, fear is bound by time. Worry is bound by time. Anxiety is bound by time. He who saves his life will lose it. But he who loses his life in Christ will find it forever. So we set our mind on things above and not on things beneath. My life is hidden with Christ in God, the omnipotent, omniscient, eternal one. Now there's a big difference between this realm and this realm. This is the I am realm and this is the I will realm. Let me do it real slow. This is the I am realm, and this is the I will realm. These connections are not, they've always been around where God wants to connect heaven to earth. The connections, the connections are always there. God always intended for man, who's with me? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. That's why Jesus came. When he conquered heaven, hell, and the grave and rose again, the veil was ripped in two, and the windows of heaven were opened. Now, the dynamics of everything has changed. Watch this story. It's interesting. I love these stories because Abraham comes along. You know, Abraham's like, trying to work his life here. Let's just pick some creatures. Yeah, he's trying to live his life in I will, I, me, my realm. Let me give you a good example. First, take the log out of your own eye. See, when they say to the mountain, what they're doing is they're saying, say to time. <laughs> Sometimes the mountain is time. But what we want is our consciousness to go into another place. History is shaped by men who had divine encounters. I don't care if it's Luther. I don't care who it is in time. But when you have a divine encounter, something changes. Something changes. Somebody had an experience. Somebody had a divine encounter. I believe everybody's on a journey here to have a face-to-face, -face, an encounter with God. Look at Abraham. Abraham comes along. Let me just paint this picture. I'm just going to take you on an I am, I will journey. And maybe we can paint a little picture. Abraham does something. He goes to Egypt. God never told him to go to Egypt. Who remembers that? 
is not doing too well, so let's do the Egypt option. Something comes out of Egypt called illegitimate wealth. Self-building kingdom wealth. But with that package came a Hagar. It took Abraham a while to move from this realm to get connected here. Oh, Holy Spirit, he's going to paint this picture for me. Now something happens. Something begins to shift in his life. He has a lot. You know what lot is. The voice from the past who works his way into the now to manipulate your future. The voice from the past who works his way into the now to manipulate your future. Some things are not worth taking along. Hallelujah. There is something I'm going to show you in the middle of all this, and we'll go somewhere. You just go with me on a journey. Revival's interesting. It's not like when you get into things from the Spirit, it takes a whole new realm. Everything shifts. You learn to worship God with your message. You really don't care what anybody thinks. Because when you walk out the meeting, the only person's opinion you're concerned about is the Holy Spirit. So if you want to get good at it, I started preaching when I was about 12, 13 years old as a leader for Student Christian Association at Florida Park High School. Then went into America, and I went on mission trips all the time. And then in 1986, I started preaching for a homeless mission. John 3.16 and Salvation Army. I would do these services every week to a bunch of homeless people. <laughs> Preached free for two years, twice a week. I think when I finally left, they wanted to give me some food stamps. I think I got like $16 for two years. Some people think, oh, it just happened overnight. <laughs> no, but there's a, something that shifts when you're on a journey. Something begins to happen to Abraham, and thank God, Abraham destroyed this enemy and came back, and he had an intervention. I'm so glad that Abraham ran into Melchizedek before the king of Sodom showed up. One day the Lord told me, he said, there had been an adjustment, so I divinely intervened. Thank God he intervened with Abraham, the Lord Come on, he said, Lord Most High. And Melchizedek intervened with Abraham. Melchizedek, no beginning of days, no end of days, no father, no mother. Melchizedek is not the Aaronic order, it's the timeless order. Melchizedek is of an order over here. I know this is deep. Listen very carefully. So timelessness has an encounter with time. But you know what bridged the gap? He gave him a tithe. The tithe connected time to timelessness. Oh, my goodness. Let me take you on a journey. <laughs> Am I right? God intervened with the body and the blood. Here's the bread. Here's the wine. Symbolism of something. Something begins to open up in Abraham's consciousness the tithe began to bridge time and a timeless order somebody help me 
Melchizedek, and Abraham who's in time through tithe. And then remembering the body, the bread, the wine, the symbolism. Come on, who's with me? Of the body and blood of Jesus. Off that, he says, I won't take a cent from you, even your sandals. I don't want nothing from the king of Sodom. Who's with me? Boy, that tithe chopped the evil spirit right off. But something fascinating happened. That was just the beginning. Because later on, God told him, hey, I want to take you to a higher place. But now it's going to require all. I need you to sacrifice your only begotten son, Isaac. So Abraham comes along and now he has to give God 100% at the top of the mountain. While he's going up, Isaac says to him, hey, father, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham suddenly, wow, Hebrews 11, 17 and 18, by faith. By faith, something begins to happen here. First, there was the tithe and this timeless connection. Now, it's 100%. He gets up on the mountain and he says, he says to Isaac, where's they going up? God will provide for himself a lamb. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Oh, something's happening to this guy. He's going somewhere. And by faith, Abraham received Isaac raised from the dead. So as to speak in an inner imagination. Somehow he went somewhere and he could see somewhere down the road. I don't know when it will be, but Isaac will be raised. See, when Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, there's people who made provision for that. Amen. Oh, there's a realm there. So Abraham went somewhere. And God said, he called his name Jehovah Jireh. The Hebrew lady is actually, God will bring substance to what you see. Is he starting to see? He's going somewhere. God will bring substance to what you see. Keep in mind, the further you see, the longer you live. What do you see? The journey carries on. We have somebody else called Jacob. An angel begins to descend and ascend. The timeless realm begins to connect with time. I'm just taking you on a journey. And at that moment of the angel descending, Jacob calls the place Bethel, the house of God, but something shifts too. He says, I vow from this downwards, I will give you a tithe. But the Hebrew letters there has got a variance on it. Ask any rabbi in Israel who will tell you exactly what he's saying. He made a vow from this time onwards for all his generation forever. Every generation that follows from this moment is going to have to tithe. All the seed of Jacob, he's making a vow for his seed, his seed, his seed, his seed, his seed. He said, Jacob makes a vow from this day forward. I will... He made a vow to tithe, but the tithe there has the Hebrew symbolism for it, for generations. Any Hebrew scholar can tell you, just look at the Hebrew letters, and it implies a generational tithe, that this will never stop. So why is he making a, a, a vow for his seed, his seed, his seed? And at that moment, something shifts. A little while later in Genesis 31, he says, oh, Laban's angry because Jacob has come to wealth, glory. 
But by the time we get down to Genesis 31, just write down the verses as I'm going. Genesis 31, 13, 14, 15, 16, the angel of the Lord shows up and begins to have a conversation with Jacob and says, hey, the reason you multiplied the spuddle, the speckled, the stripe, and you became rich, I'll tell you why, Jacob, because you kept your vow. He told him the secret. He said, the reason is because you kept your vow. Do you know that vow never stopped by the time we get to Malachi chapter 3? Guess who God's speaking to? The seed of Jacob. Read it. Malachi 3, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. He says, to the seed of Jacob. <laughs> He's not too happy with them because by the time he gets to Malachi 3, 8, he says, you have robbed me. How have you robbed me? Well, you robbed me in tithes and offering. Do you know what he's speaking to? He's not talking about the law stuff. He's talking about the fact that Jacob made the vow. Jacob stopped keeping the vow. And when you stopped keeping the vow, you were robbing from me. You made it, not me. Oh, he says, some people don't want to read the scripture. We have a lot of people teaching a lot of stuff today, but I'm going to tell you something. They're just not looking deep enough. They can say all they want about get rid of this, do this, do this, Jesus, before the cross. I don't care what they want to say. Some people have got, they just not getting, they, and we got a very ignorant world still. So you can manipulate scripture very easily. But what we're talking about is you living, living in the place, which is another place. Then we have another story. Are you watching this journey? Just watch the journey. We come to a man called Moses. Moses comes to this place. Who remembers this? The burning bush. Remember the burning bush? And God begins to talk to Moses out of this burning bush. I love this story. And when God begins to talk to Moses out of the burning bush, God says something very powerful. He says to him by the time he gets to verse 13, and Moses said to God, this is, uh, let's go there, Exodus 3, verse 13 will go. Amen. Exodus 3.13, you can see this. And watch what begins to happen here. I want to paint you a picture because it's better for me to somehow shift you. Oh, boy. Let's shift it. Okay? And Moses said to God, Indeed, when the come out of Israel, the God of your father sent me to say, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And I want you to notice something. God doesn't give them a name. He's not going to give them a name here. They already have his name, Jehovah, Jehovah Elohim, all these things. He's not going to give them a name because the next sentence is not a noun, it's a verb in Hebrew. So look what, how God answered in verse 14. He said, I am who I am. <laughs> I am as sent me to you. <laughs> I love this because I am who I am is not a noun. It's not a name play. It's action. In him I live, move, have my being. I am seated. I am joint heirs. I am complete. I am a son of the I am. I'm not trying to become something or be something. I'm not like when I go to Nigeria, they're always looking for the next level. I said, I'm already there. Why do I want to go somewhere where I'm already at? I'm already seated in heavenly places. I'm already sanctified. I'm already righteous. I'm already complete. 
you're already there. You, you, you might not, your brain might not have awakened to what's the real you. But you're already there. Huh? See, when you know that place, it's powerful because really in simple terms, the highest form of worship is just to walk like God, talk like God, think like God, act like God. They know in the book of Acts that Paul's running around teaching worship teams. I have a book back there, 300 pages on worship. I love it. Powerful book. But he doesn't go around teaching. If you have the worship team, we'll make it happen. The worship team will make it happen. No. No, no, no. There's another realm. You know, you, you, you even not of the, you're not of this priestly realm. You're not of a priestly realm bound like in Aaron. You see, the Aaronic priesthood had tremendous limitations. Psalms 133, how precious it is for brethren to dwell in unity. It's like the oil that flows down Aaron's beard. And there, blah, 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 God commands his blessing. Well, listen, you're, not, you're no longer after the Aaronic order. You're after Melchizedek. You're after all that says, such as I have, give I unto thee. I don't have to have 10 people around agreeing with me. Who's with me? <laughs> Somebody's quiet now. See, there's a place of I am. I am who I am. Now, there's a difference between I am because I am is timeless. I will is bound by time. People are like that. Their whole life's like that. Uh, this insurance. In America, they've got 500 insurance. Dental insurance, this insurance, health insurance, life insurance, the next insurance, uh, graveyard insurance, coffin insurance, burial insurance. Okay, you're dead. You say, what's happening here? Trying to save their life. psychological time bondage thinking. You know, Genesis 8.22, God says, because man's imagination is evil continually, therefore, as long as the earth remains, there's seed time and harvest, cold and winter. Do you, do you see the results? Therefore, as long as man, man's imagination is evil continually. Amen. Isn't that right? Look at verse 21. That's where you get the answer. We'll tell you why it's like this. 8.21. What? Give me one more verse before that. Somebody already put it up there really fast. They were good. Wow. Amen. Oh, wait a second. Where is it? For man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Who sees that? Then the next verse says, there'll be what? Seed time and harvest. Who's with me? Why? Because when you're in this realm, you're subject to this realm. But God's trying to get you to, to step in and walk out the finished work of Christ. He's trying to have you walk out in this I am place. Watch what happens to this. Let me take your picture. In Exodus chapter 4, God comes along. Are you ready? Oh, some of you might not like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Exodus chapter 4 verse 10. And God comes along, Exodus 4.10. And Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, 
Now, I love this in Hebrew because in Hebrew, it's all the words in Hebrew for making excuses. Yeah. Just study out. It's not got anything to do with stuttering when you look this up in the Hebrew letters. I don't know who came up with the stuttering thing, but it's not so. Because guess what? Stephen himself, when, when he was being stoned in Acts chapter 7, says, Moses is bold and fluent at speech. Huh? So who's lying? Stephen? Or some other preacher? According to Stephen, Moses didn't have a stuttering problem. Because Stephen said that Moses was bold and fluent in speech. Scripture doesn't conflict Scripture. Scripture bears witness with Scripture. You always compare Scripture to Scripture. So look what he says. Neither before such a you of your servant, but I am slow of speech. Read it in Hebrew real slow. It's excuse language. Go with me to verse 11. Are you ready? Watch what. We know the answer from God. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? What? Have I not I, the Lord? You remember that time when Zacharias came along and said, I'm an old man? Sometimes we don't notice what the next verse is. You have to watch the attitude of the angel in the next verse. He literally comes along, don't you know who I am? That's how he answered him when he said, I'm, a, I'm an old man. Don't you know who I am? I'm Gabriel sent from the presence of Almighty God. Therefore, because you would not believe the word of the Lord, your mouth will be shut. So you learn very fast from that verse. Don't make the old excuse. Huh? See, once again, it's that psychological time bondage thinking. Okay, I'm going somewhere. So yeah, look what happens. He says, look at verse, the next verse, verse 12. Therefore, go and I will be with your mouth. I'll teach you what to say. Okay, don't make any more excuses. Look at verse 13. Oh, I don't understand. But he said, oh, Lord, please. God says, I've had enough of this. He's really ticked. Look at verse 14. God now gets angry. So the anger of the Lord was kindled. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you something called an abu, a prophet. Oh, no, no, no. Ready? Prophet was the result of God being angry. Okay, I'm going real slow. See, prophet wasn't God's first choice. A son of God was. <laughs> first apostles, second prophets. There's a reason. See, prophet wasn't God's first choice. We know from Numbers chapter 12, verse 6, Numbers 12, 6, to my prophets, I speak to them in dreams and visions, but not so to my servant Moses. No, no, with Moses, uh, Numbers 12, where are we at? 12, verses 6, 7, amen, amen. My servant, he's faithful. Can you believe this? Do you know this word, you're faithful? Guess what it is in the New Testament? That's the Hebrew word. You know what the Greek word is? Dispensations. <laughs> in the dispensations of the fullness of times, all things in heaven and all things earth will become one in Christ. Very interesting word. House management. Now look at this. He's faithful. Next verse. 
I speak to him face to face. Man, everybody has got, go to your, if you're at your iPhone, just look up Google, and you go to a thing called Bible Hub even, and you went, Hebrew, it'll say, Moshia Elohim, Elo, and then it'll go P-I-E-N-E-L, Elohim. So it's saying, Elohim, Moshia, Elohim, P-E-L, Elohim. The Hebrew is literally saying, God facing God. We just interpret it face to face. But that's not what it's saying in Hebrew. In Hebrew it's saying, Elohim is facing Elohim. <laughs> that's a big difference. See, God wants to talk to God. Something shifts. You see, there's something shifts when you come into the place of John 10, 34. Did I not call you gods to whom the word of God came? John 1, verse 12 to 16. To many as received him, to them he gave the right to become sons of God. And there's something happens many years ago when you step into this place. This place of knowing I am a son of God. I was at a meeting in Arkansas in a long revival in the 90s, and I was carried away. People love this series I have. I don't know why they keep buying it from 1996. It's like 12 tapes. We still have people buy it from the ministry. They uploaded somewhere, you know, the digital format from old tapes called Be the Son of God You Are. And I'm preaching in the middle of this place, and suddenly one night there's this lady coming in, remote control wheelchair, paralyzed, She's been paralyzed a long time, 30-some years from the time she was little. But I'm preaching away, and I suddenly run off the stage, and I'm so excited, I start screaming. I grab this lady by the wheelchair, and with all my voice, I start screaming, I'm a son of God! I'm a son of God! And I ripped her like this. Poof! Up goes the lady. She takes off walking. The people are like, Huh? My wife was even wondering what happened. She said, afterwards, you didn't say the name of Jesus. You didn't pray for her. You didn't tell her to get up. I said, she happened to be in the way of a revelation. See, some people just happen to be in the way of a revelation. <laughs> you know, when Peter's cast in shadows, I don't know what's wrong with those people in the street. I don't know what they believed. I don't know who they brought out in their streets. We have no idea if they had faith or not had faith, Jesus or no Jesus. We didn't know. We just know a shadow was cast. Amen. You, you know there's this place where you learn to just minister out of the Spirit. And Moses, you know, he had to go somewhere. And I thought it was interesting that was the burning bush, but that was, that was just the beginning because he's going to go somewhere called, show me your glory. Who remembers that? I scream so loud, I wake the baby up. Shame. I'm a son of God. Hallelujah. It's all right. <laughs> but I love it when Moses is up in the glory of God. Show me your glory. Come on. Wow. Man, God. All he saw was the trail. At this moment, the word became flesh. He saw and was able to write the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the word became flesh. Man, when he came down, he was so glowing. I joke with some people sometimes. 
especially people who get into tattoos. I said, you know, I says, hey, if you're shining like Moses and you have to put a blanket over the guy, if Moses had 100 tattoos, nobody would see it. Because in the light of the glory of God, the tattoo is insignificant. There are certain things we do that really don't mean nothing. It's got nothing to do with where you're going, what you're doing. Huh? <laughs> it's that you start finding a way to live right here. I'm not worried about nothing. I'm anxious for nothing. Timelessness was asleep on the boat. Well, but when he woke up, timelessness came walking on the water. When he stepped in the boat, immediately the boat was on the other side. See, when timelessness touches time, it's kind of like the woman at the well. Let me just give you a little picture from a different angle. Jesus said, if you knew it was who asked you for a drink, you would have given him a drink. You'd build this connection with the timeless eternal one. Before Abraham was, I am. You knew you would build that connection. <laughs> I love that. And the woman says, no, I don't have a husband. He says, go get your husband. I don't have one. Oh, no, you do. You got five senses. You have five senses. Let me give you that. You got five senses. You have five senses. Touch, feel, smell. Come on, somebody help me. Five senses. Five senses. But the one you have right now is not even your husband. Number six, you're bound by time. But timelessness has just met you. See, something happened. The timeless one met time. Somebody got a revelation back there. Do you know how Kailishi came? Kailichi, Kai, how much? Kailicha. Six months ago, I was praying. The word hit me. I said, oh, that, that's not knowing it. And I go to this place in Missouri. Never thought there was such a name of a town like that in all my life. Nob Noster. I go to this town, I said, I've never heard such a town, this teeny little town. Who has a town called Nob Noster? I said, what kind of town is this? I meet this pastor. Some reason, he starts talking to him about some guy in Kailicha, however, hey amen. I'll get it right one of these days. But you know what I was preaching at that church? For four days straight, I was preaching on timelessness. Lo and behold, the day I arrive in the country, I go to this church over there. And what happens? The, the Lord says, preach that. I said, I haven't preached that for four or five months since I was in this crazy connection. Like God was trying to say something the whole time. It was like a setup. But this is a very interesting place. Because there's this place in the spirit when something happens, it's like, I'm going to say the Amos 
Amos 9.13, remember the plowman will overtake the reaper. And the tread of grapes is going to overtake the one sowing seed. The first time I actually learned about that was in the 90s here in Cape Town, where a guy went and said, hey, and we were talking about this verse. And this, it was a Jewish guy, Jewish Hebrew, you know, how can you say, Jewish Christian, Messianic Jew. And he said, to me, you, know what it, you know what that is? That is drinking the juice. We were at that place, you know, where they stomp on the, you're in Stellenbosch, where they stomp on the grapes. And he said, no, that, that, that verse in Hebrew, and he was explaining, it means you're drinking the grape juice before the seed is planted. I said, whew. Remember, Jesus turned water into wine. The timeless one wasn't subject to time. He didn't have to plant the grape seed, wait five years, wait for the harvest to happen, wait for it to come up. Come on. Look at the prophetic connection with that woman. Go to Zarephath, 2 Kings 17. Go to Zarephath, place of the refiner's fire. Go. See, I've commanded a widow woman there to provide for you. Elijah shows up and says, feed me first. Boy, that lady steps, in, steps into a timeless realm. Her oil and a morsel does not run dry. Timelessness. See, she blessed the prophet, and the answer was, came from the I am timeless realm. It's kind of like I am currency, I am economy, I am money. Yeah, what do you think happened when Jesus lifted up the loaves and fishes? He was basically saying, I am money, I am shoprite. I am checkers. Huh? Come on. I mean, fish started multiplying outside of water. Bread started multiplying. Timelessness was invading time. Timelessness was invading time. You know, there's a key there as well. It's called thank you. When he lifted those loaves of fish to heaven, he went, thank you. I'll never forget when Jesus got ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. Remember Martha and Mary and, are you ready? I mean, this is how they live in it. Martha and Mary were like this. Lord, if you had been here sooner, psychological time on your thinking. He's now been in the grave four days and he's thinking... The other one, oh Lord, one day in the future, I can see it long down the road there. One day in the future, you'll. Uh. Both ladies are bound by time. But Jesus said to them, Behold, now you shall see the glory of God. Not, it's now faith, now glory, not one day going to be, possibly, maybe. But you know what he did there? He said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. <laughs> I have this guy come to my meeting. Man, last night, so many people healed from blood issues. It was crazy. There were some pastors came. When they walked away, they were shocked at how they were feeling today when they came this afternoon. But one thing I realized is I, they brought this guy into a meeting. The guy spent like, Thousands of dollars in America. You know, they had to pay an ambulance is like $2,000. Never mind bringing the doctor and two nurses. Tubes hooked up in his side, and they come in there. They put him in the front. He's like in the stretcher, like, you know, one of those weird, like, bed things 
wheel him from the ambulance, bring him here, got this other little thing they put in wheels on with all these machines, plugging it in, who's with me? I mean, they had like battery, you know, and I said, what's going on with the guy? Well, this kidney had been removed 16 years ago, and this kidney's dead. And I said to the doctor, what's going on? He said, the man, it's cost, he asked the man, how much does this cost you? $7,000 to get the nurses, the doctor, the ambulance, everything to get to me. I said, my, this guy's serious. And he said, I said to the doctor, what's going on? He said, he's only got about 25 hours to 48 hours to live. I stood there and I looked at him like this and I just went like this. I don't even know why I didn't blink an eye. I just lifted my hands like here and I said, I went, Father, I thank you for a brand new kidney. I stood there, I didn't even budge. Faith is the substance. I waited. Everybody's looking at me in the meeting, wondering what's going on. I stood in front of this guy and I just went like this. I think I might have went like 60 seconds or more. A minute, they're all waiting. And I went like this. I could start feeling. You know, the glory is like tangible. The weight of God, the tangible. You could feel the anointing, everything. But now, I began to feel weight. And when I knew that weight, see, glory has weight. And glory is the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. It transcends time, space. When Adam and Eve were crowned with honor and glory, they couldn't die. Oh, and I felt it come in my hand. I said, I suddenly felt it in my hand. I looked over at the man and I said, I have your kidney. Now, you say, what? I, and I took my hand like I put it in his body. Then I put the other hand on this one. I said, I command the other kidney for Three days later, he came back, two brand new kidneys. But you see what happened? Thanksgiving gives faith power to convert what is unseen into the seen. Oh, let me go real slow. Thanksgiving gives faith power to convert what is unseen into the seen. See, I can't go by, you can't even have a second thought. I learned that in 2013 when I was preaching a couple of times for Prophet Quibus. We were preaching on the glory of God, and I went home with Quibus, and Quibus says, oh, my God. I said, Quibus, we're going. He said, man, when you were in my place, he said, I felt more glory than I've ever felt in my life. Well, the next day I'm ministering, and I see this guy really bad, paralyzed, really bad. But I, I'm, people are falling on the power of God. I'm blowing, you know, going crazy. But I passed that really bad case. And after I'm passing, like five, six, seven, Quibus just got up and pulled the guy out of the wheelchair, and the guy walked. So we go back to his place that night. Quibus says, you know what? There was more power here than I've ever felt in my life. That should be nothing for you to have that guy walk. But he says, you know what happened? You had a second thought. He said, you were already there in the spirit. You should have just kept going. Next night, I'm going along. Worst case. They bring this lady in a stretcher there at his meeting. Man, when I said, pick that lady up, I did not know it was going to take about seven, eight guys to hold this lady with dingling legs in the air. You know what I mean? Like, pick up. You know what I mean? When, you know, the, the person, like, I don't even know the whole body was, you know what I mean? Because it took like one guy, yeah, one guy, yeah, one guy, the way. like, pick up. It took like a bunch of guys to lift this lady up with her legs barely just hanging up inch off the ground, you know? So I'm seeing, like, I mean, they're like, pick it up. But I'm thinking, no second thought. So I just said, walk in the name of Jesus. Went to her husband. I didn't want to look back. I went, <laughs> I kept knocking everybody down, you know, under the power. Just keep, you know, just flowing in the Holy Spirit. Just let the Holy Ghost knock them all down, whatever. I didn't want to look back. When I didn't look back, the lady took off walking. 
they got it on video. Hey, the place went crazy. But you see what happened? I could have been caught up with time. 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 Somebody with me. Let's go a little deeper here. Let's go a little deeper. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, that if Joshua had conquered, if Joshua had conquered the promised land, there would never have been another day after that. Oh, maybe I need to give you that verse. Just so you could have it for sure. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4. Ready? Hebrews chapter 4. If Joshua verse 8, Hebrews 4 verse 8, Hebrews 4 verses 8, if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have spoken of another day. Somebody help me. I'm going to take you into another journey. Let's just stay on this vein. You ready? See, rest. When you're in rest, you're not looking at your clock. You know, watching your watch. You're at rest. You don't care about time. But something happened. There was a roadblock. Oh, this is a big one for people. Are you ready? There's a big difference between empathy and compassion. Empathy works towards a human solution. Compassion works towards a supernatural solution. Every time Jesus was moved with compassion in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it produced supernatural results. There was not one time. Every time he moved with compassion, he multiplied loads of fishes. Moved with compassion, he raised the dead. Moved with compassion, he says, oh, he gives the disciples power to cast out demons. Come on. But what happened was, empathy is a whole different ballgame. You know the only time that you have empathy, you know in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, you won't even find the word empathy. It was actually introduced in the new dictionaries around 1920, the modern psychological term. It actually connects to Plato, Socrates, all that, the identifying of our feelings, things, object, who's with me. You know, so there's people who come along saying, oh, brother. I understand what you're going through. Let me give you a revelation. Jesus doesn't know what it's like having arthritis for five years, diabetes for 10 years, back problem for five years. Jesus doesn't know what it's like sitting in a wheelchair. Who's with me? We would like him to. Come on, who's with me? Jesus doesn't know what it's like having a cancer tumor and chemotherapy. And who's with me? He doesn't know what. He didn't go through that. The day he identified with your pain is the day he crucified it. Man, one day, Jesus' mother and brother and sisters were outside. He said, Jesus, your mother, your brother and sister, they're outside, they want to see you. <laughs> Jesus puts his arms around his disciples and says, well, those who do the will of my Father which is in heaven, they're my mothers, my brothers, and my sisters. Lord, you need to heal this girl. <laughs> it's not fitting to give the bread off the table to the dogs. Lord, first let me go bury my mother and father who's with me. 
and then I'll come and follow you. And actually, the word bury in Hebrew is interesting. It means, let me take care of my parents. They got only about maybe five, six months to live, Jewish, Jewish tradition, to take care of them. Then they're going to die. And Jesus was like, hey, forget your dying parents. It's more important for you to follow me right now. Jesus, what's wrong with you, man? Don't you have any empathy or any sympathy? No, the Bible, when Jesus used the word sympathy, it says he sympathized with us in one area. Read the scripture carefully. He sympathized in that he was tempted in the same way we were tempted. Let me go real slow. He sympathized in that he was tempted. Jesus know what it like seeing beautiful women walk around. Are you all quiet? But there's a big difference between empathy and compassion. But the children of Israel, they were going along. They were conquering the promised land. They were making progress. First problem was the first fruit issue because all of Jericho was gone. But the main problem, they could have kept going and conquered it all. They would have entered rest. But this is where the roadblock came. It was called the Gibeonites. Man, these guys were in that right near them and thinking, Woo, they're on our doorstep. Put on old clothes, old shoes, worn out wine skins, you know what I mean? Worn out shoes. Come on, who's with me? Molded bread. Let's act like we've been walking thousands of miles. <laughs> Come on, who's with me? They show up looking like raggedy poor people. Yeah, poor people can pull off some things. They, they really know how to work you over sometimes. You got to watch out for poor people sometimes. You know what I mean? They showed up with their tattered, worn out everything. And they're like, oh, we came from far away. We've been on a long journey. Oh, oh, you know, shame. I feel so sorry for you. Oh, you've been traveling so far. Let's help these people out. They cut a covenant with them. Empathy. And that empathy grew into something later on. I'm not going to go through all the scriptures and track it down. Just track them down. You know what it grew into? The thorn in the flesh. I'd have to sit and give you about another 50, 60 verses to show you where it went. It became the thorn in the flesh. See, when you're in the spirit, you can't come down to where a person's at. You've got to learn to deal with it from this realm, not from, I understand what you're going through. I'm trying to help some of you. Because what happens is then you get caught up because I tell you what, in the spirit, there's such a rest. The pastors this afternoon when I was there say, how in the world do you just keep going? I've been preaching the whole day. And then I have to... This whole week I have to preach every single day, almost every day, and then some morning meetings, and then next Sunday I'm in five churches in one day. Now, I did that place before, Pastor Emmanuel Moodley, you know, the first service, second service, then went to the other one, <laughs> then we did this outreach thing. The last time I was with him, I never ate breakfast. When I went to see him the last time up there in Durban, you know, the, Emmanuel Moodley has that big church, you know, thousands of people. I think it's like eight, ten thousand people. And the last time I was with him, there were so many services. I went to this branch, this branch, you know. And it was now like 2, 30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, I just preached four times and prayed for thousands of people. The first service, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning. Then 9, then 11, you know, in the 2. 
By the time we went there, I said, man, he said, where do you want to go? Go to Nando's. Go to Nando's. I'm going, well, we don't have that in America. I'm going to Nando's. Forget it, man. You know, I'm just, get me to Nando's. So I get to Nando's. I hadn't eaten breakfast, and I literally ate two and a half chickens. He's like, what? <laughs> I ate two and a half chickens that day. Now, let me tell you something. When you preach four times and pray for thousands of people, and you did not eat breakfast, you will eat two and a half chickens. Hallelujah. I mean, <laughs> but you see, when you're in the spirit, when you're in the spirit, it is so wonderful to be in the place where God wants you to be. You know, I'll never forget when I was a little kid with my grandfather, he built almost 80 churches in South Africa. He came here in 19, 1938. He could, you know, he'd preach on the mines all the time. So when I was six years old, he was preaching like almost 10,000 people every night, you know. And uh, he could speak like all the languages. You know, God gave him Kosa, Zulu. He just downloaded him. He went to a Kosa checkpoint. God said, I'll give you the language. Talk back to the guy in Kosa. So he talked back to the guy in Kosa. You know, when he came here in 1938 to South Africa, he was a missionary here for a long time. He went back to Canada about 20 six, 27 years ago, and he just died two years ago at 103. He didn't have to die. He was walking along, fell, hurt his hip. They took him to the Canadian hospital. He was upset, so I flew up there to see him. He said, I've never been a doctor. I don't go to the hospital. I never get sick. But that day in the hospital, he was like, I ain't going to sit around in this place. He was struggling to get in the bed. He was trying to believe the hip was healed. They didn't want to do anything. So he just turned to me and my wife. He said, I think I'm just going to go to heaven. That's it. Man, he laid hands on me, laid hands on her. And I said to my, any of my brothers and sisters up there, he said, Grandpa, pray for anybody in 10, 50 years? Man, when he laid hands on me, my hands was tingling. I felt the power of God come all over me. And he just kept, he prayed for me like 30 minutes, and he said, the blessings of the Lord maketh rich. And he adds no sorrow. And, but when I was little, just a little kid, eight, nine years old, I'll never forget him grabbing one lady's hand. And the lady had no fingers. And he just grabbed her hand like this and said, watch this lady growing your fingers. We were in Soweto. And suddenly, the lady started growing. Fingers started coming out. And she grew all five brand new fingers. I'll never forget, you know, you're eight years old. You're wondering what's happening. And I looked at Grandpa and I said to him, I said, Grandpa, how did that happen? You didn't say the name of Jesus. You didn't say I command fingers to grow. You, you just said, watch your fingers grow. He said, he answered me, he said, I'm in the name, and the name's in me. See, what I'm trying to say is sometimes we even try to subjugate ourselves to thinking it only works by a certain way. Don't limit yourself. Amen. There is a realm of you entering the spirit and going there and setting your mind in an I am place, I am. One time I was in preaching in Phoenix in the 90s when Vasi was around. Dennis Pillay, I remember his name. Remember Dennis Pillay? He had that church. Vasi was with me, he used to travel with me for years praying when we had the tent. And I just preached about being seated in Christ. Man, when the meeting was, I sat I literally sat on a chair, preached the whole time, sitting from a chair. When the meeting was over, all I was doing was preaching about being seated in Christ. When I was finished, I said, now bring everybody in the church who needs a miracle, healing, need a touch. Come up here and have them sit in the chair. 
Oh, Lord Jesus. Every time someone wanted to go sit in the chair, their body go flying through the air, sliding off the chair, flying sideways. Do you know we had to carry, they had to carry bodies off that chair for like two hours. Thousands of people laying under the power of God. Nobody could sit still on the chair. <laughs> All I was preaching was I'm seated. See, you're either there or you're not. Don't short circuit yourself. Don't get caught up with trying to hold yourself in this place. Amen. Where you're trying to save your life. This is a revelation place. This is a reformation place. This is a revival place. You have a guy who's got energy like you can't believe and can preach like a machine. I mean, you guys are blessed. You have a pastor who has a passion and a love. Come on. He'll go to the ends of the earth, whatever it takes. You all need to dive into the deep end, amen, and go there. I even know Matthew Zion comes. Matt, you know that guy used to play keyboards for me when he was a teenager. We had a tent. My wife was doing worship, and Matthew Zion was the keyboard player when he was a teenager. When we had our tent, he played keyboards for us. Man, we were knocking people down everywhere. I know that kid's infected. Hallelujah. On. Once you go to that place, amen, hallelujah, <laughs> you're not going to go anywhere else, but you, you have to like just, thank you, Lord. I love the fact that everything my daddy has is mine. I'm blessed with every, you know, I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. Today I was at the, you know, after I finished the one service, we went to go eat, and the pastor gave me a milk tart. You know, milk tart. So we got the slice. But if that, if that milk tart was omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, and you just got one little bite, you'd be translated. But think about it. The Bible says I'm already a partaker of his divine nature. So somehow translation is already built into me. It's already there. I got a treasure, an earth vessel. You know, that's, that supersedes anything because when they, every day when manna came down from heaven, it rotted, it corrupted, it aged. At the end of the day, worms win it. But on the sixth day where they collected, for some reason, on the seventh, it was immortalized. Then they took Aaron's rod that budded, blossomed, and produced almonds, and the manna, and they stuck it in the ark with the Ten Commandments. So we know something else was glorified there too. It was stuck in the ark. And you know the Bible says there it was kept. And I looked up the Hebrew word kept. It actually means immortalized. Incorrupt, I cannot age. So the manna did not rot. It had to travel a long journey all the way to Kid Jostorin. Finally, when you know those stupid boys, Hophni Finney's did their stupid thing. Come on. Hallelujah. But you know that that stuff was immortalized. You have to have a revelation. What glory touches, it immortalizes. What glory touches, it immortalizes. 
And you say Christ in you is the hope of glory. You say the glory of God lives in you. I remember one day having a dream and my kidneys started glowing, my liver, you know, different parts started glowing. I was like, Lord, I'm in the middle of my dream. What's going on you, Lord? What's going on you? And, you know, the Lord started talking to me about my emotions. He said, if you allow me to get control of your emotions, the power that I can release through you will be unlimited in capacity. See, there's this place where the rivers just flow freely. There's this place where the glory of God, and we say, oh, sometimes I'll just put my hand on my belly and say, I prophesied of the glory of God. And I just say, rise, manifest yourself, demonstrate yourself. You'll go beyond time or space. I mean, you'll be gone. Whether in the body, out of the body, I do not know, but you'll be gone. I know what it's like. I was sharing with him before I came down tonight how I died on a mountain like five years ago in Colorado. Man, when I went flying over that cliff, all I remember was his angels start operating. I was outside of my body. And one of the angels wanted to start working on my head, but I was praying in tongues the whole time. I was disconnected. They had to get cables, I did not know it, and get a flat thing where they lift you up a cliff like four or five stories high, higher than this, because I thought this time I'm going to the highest. It's, Wolf Creek is the second highest mountain in Colorado, and I went to the top. And I said, well, I, I'm conquering this mountain. I'll fly down these cliffs. And I went flying down a cliff to my death. Hallelujah, I was out of my body. And I watched these angels connecting my bones in my back and putting the nerves through my back, hooking my neck. They were about to do surgery on my head, I don't know what happened. The way I understand it is they picked me up, took me four or five hours later. The way they got me alive, they came along with those shock things. Somehow when they shocked me, I must have went back into my body. But when I came out of the experience, I knew the one angel was talking to the other angel saying we've got to operate on his mind. It took me months after that for me to try to remember my family. Every time I had to answer everything, I had to do it by the Spirit. A month after that, I went to go preach in Nigeria. They had to take a whole team, people to help me and people there to help me. I took files and I methodically preached following points because I couldn't remember a scripture verse. But boy, I was praying in tongues six, seven hours a day. I learned and experienced at that time what it means when they put in, they weren't going to release me from the hospital. But every time they asked me a question, I just kept praying in tongues and the Holy Spirit gave me the answer. The Holy Spirit gave me the answer. But you talk about being disconnected from your brain. I was sitting in a meeting and my body would freeze a week after I'd go to this church to preach. And I'm sitting there and my body would go like this. And this old lady, this one old lady we knew that was with us, she'd jump up, grab my hand and start screaming, praying in tongues over me and then I'd come too. I mean, you talk about learning to live by the Spirit. When you're trying to, I would cry every day sometimes. Every day I'd cry because I couldn't figure out why I couldn't remember my family, why I couldn't remember scripture verses. <laughs> What is this experience? I can tell you that right now. But I learned I had to live outside. I had to live in another place. I was praying in tongues for hours every day. And I'd never been a doctor my entire life, you know, physical arcane America. And that time I was sitting there in this room with 20, 30 people. But they released me because I answered all the questions. And my brain didn't answer it. 
I can tell you that right now. Because I couldn't even drive off to that anything. The Spirit answered it. There's this place that you can get to in the Spirit. Since when you yield to that, some of you, your miracle is so close. And I'm taking my time, but some of you, it's just a matter of yielding to the intercession of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for praying for me. I know your prayers never fail. You sit at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. I know his prayers aren't failing. Some people, your miracle is as close as that. Said, I surrender to the intercession of Jesus. You've never failed me, Lord. He's praying for you right now. He is. That's what he's doing. Jesus is interceding for you. The blood's been applied to the mercy seat. And he's, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Making intercession for you. Boy, if you could see the picture of this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Some of you are like wondering, how come? No, no, no. Take the umbrella of doubt off. Let grace shine through. Let God's rain come through. Don't resist his goodness. I was laying there. I'm living down at a place called Big Bay. Vasi had some friend of it. They made a, they got a place for me while I was here. Just a gift. But when I'm laying in my room, when I lay on my bed, I can see the Holy Table Mountain. And I heard the Lord say, I prepared a banquet table for you. In the presence of your enemy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. It's not a struggle. It's not a strain. It's you surrendering to that. I yield to your Holy Spirit. I've been taking my time, but I have to yield to your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Thank you, Lord, I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed going out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, Jesus. We surrender to you right now. We yield to you right now. We give you the glory. Go ahead, stand on your feet one second. I like doing this sometimes in meetings. Just lift your hands to heaven like this. Say, Father, I surrender to you. I give you my all, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you that by your stripes I'm healed. I receive you, Lord. I declare you my Lord. You're my master. You're my savior. I magnify you, Lord. I exalt you, Lord. King of kings. Lord of lords. You're worthy. I surrender to you. I put your one hand on your belly and say, I prophesy out of my belly rivers of healing flow. I prophesy rivers of healing flow out of my belly. Everywhere I go, I lay hands on the sick and they recover. I prophesy to this treasure an earthen vessel, I prophesy to the glory of God that lives in me. I say, rise, manifest yourself, demonstrate yourself, show yourself mighty.
right now. Now I want you to lift your hands up to heaven like this and go, everything my daddy has is mine. Everything my daddy has is mine. I am blessed with every spirit.